0: We've been reading God's Word from beginning to end. We started this journey exactly a year ago in October, October of 2019. We started our survey through the Word of God in a sermon series entitled God's Story, Our Story, beginning in Genesis and eventually surveying the Scriptures and ending in Revelation. When we end the Old Testament this morning by looking at the last book, in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter three, verses one through seven, and then Malachi chapter four, verse four through six. The name Malachi literally means messenger. He was a messenger to the people of God. He was considered a minor prophet. A minor prophet that writes to God's people as they return from exile. Just to give you context and to catch us up from where we've been the last few weeks. We spent a lot of time in the minor prophets leading up to exile. God brought minor prophets to come into God's people. To come into both the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom to the south, Judah. To preach a message of repentance. But they didn't listen. And God had no choice but to use the external forces, the Assyrians to the north and the Babylonians to the south to bring God's people out of the land and into captivity. Well, for 70 years, they've been captive and now they're able to come back and Malachi was called to preach to, the, to preach to the captives, those that had come back to the southern kingdom of Judah. They'd re-enter Jerusalem and Malachi is preaching this message to this next generation. The only problem is this generation's no better than the previous generation, in some ways far worse, continuing to be indifferent to God and indifferent to his word. And Malachi finds a people that are physically alive. They've been able to return to home, but they're spiritually dead and in need of revival. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and then Malachi chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. This is the word of the Lord. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? I will bring swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Chapter 4, verse 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statues and rules I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. As a ministerial student at Stanford University, I was often out on Sunday mornings preaching in area churches. And without fail, before I preached, the minister would give this announcement come back this Sunday night or this Friday night for revival. Now, the revival was always accompanied by a potluck supper because the Holy Spirit can't be present without a potluck supper in the South. But it always would strike me that they would actually predict revival. They would actually pencil it in their calendars. This Sunday night, Friday night, we're going to have revival. But this was their definition of revival. Revival was something where you invited the masses in, the neighbor, your friends, and your family. You would invite the masses into your church. They would hear the gospel. There would be what is called an altar call. And people would get saved. And that was revival. The only problem is that's not what the Bible calls revival. You see, what the Bible calls revival is when God's people, the remnant, are so broken and so desperate that they first and foremost don't look for revival out there. They say first and foremost revival needs to happen in here. And revival doesn't happen with the masses first. Revival starts with the remnant, broken and needy and desperate for God. It's God's people saying, you need to show up here, God, first, before you show up out there. I don't know if you've noticed, but our culture and society is not particularly flourishing right now. But before there can ever be revival out there, the idea of God bringing life out of death, that is what revival is, to revive something. There needs to be revival in here. So what can we learn about God's people in Malachi concerning revival? And how does it apply to us here at Coleridge? Ridge? Well, the first thing we have to understand about revival is revival requires repentance. Revival requires repentance. Look at verse seven of chapter three. God says, return to me and then I will return to you. It is indicating that God has left the building That God has left his people and there is this idea that they need to return to God. They have walked away from God. You see, repentance in the Bible is not just asking for forgiveness. Repentance in the Bible is not simply being convicted of sin. True repentance is returning. It's moving away from one direction and turning in another direction. And God is saying, the reason I'm not with you, the reason you are not experiencing my full presence is because you have turned away from me. You need to return. You need to repent. It is God's people repenting first before we can ask the world to repent. What does 2 Chronicles chapter 7 say? If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves, then I will heal their land. It begins with God's people humbling themselves. God's people returning. God's people repenting. What are they repenting from? Verse 5. He says, I will draw near with judgment. And he lists All of these items in which they need to repent from, but he leaves no stone unturned. These are a people that have adopted foreign and pagan philosophies and idolatries. They have they have sinned in physical and spiritual ways. They are bearing false witness. They are not loving their neighbor as themselves. And the list goes on and on in verse 5. In all of the ways in which God's people, yes, profess with their mouth that God is Lord, but have no demonstration in their lives that this God has changed them and transformed them. And so God says you must repent and return from living one way, on the Lord's day and in the presence of my worship in the temple and then living contrary to my word. But it's not only repenting from the sin of transgressions. Notice in verse 5, it's also repenting from the sin of indifference. He says, not only in verse 5 have you done all these things, but what's the last thing? He says, you no longer fear me. You no longer fear me. You live as if I don't exist. There is no reverence for who I am. There is no fear in your eyes. Listen to me. At times, it is the sin of indifference to God and his word, which is way more troubling and way more dangerous than any sin of transgression. The sin of indifference, acting and living as if God does not exist. I have made no apologies about my fear of our approach to the travesty of abortion in this nation. But here's my greater fear. When I announce from this pulpit that there are 850,000 babies murdered every year, and I don't know if it moves you at all. When Nancy Robbins stands up and talks about the issue of affordable housing in Broward County and we don't even blink an eye, the sin of indifference, the sin of indifference, that we see what is happening and we know what our calling is and we know what the word of God says and it doesn't move us one bit. Brothers and sisters, the first thing we need to do is repent from the spirit of indifference. We expect revival to happen out there. Revival needs to happen in here, but revival won't happen until God's people are broken and humble and repent and return. Second thing that we need to understand about revival is that not only does it require repentance, but revival involves remembering. Skip over to chapter 4. Malachi calls us to do two things. In verse 4, he says, Remember, remember the law of Moses and the statutes. And then in verse 5, He says, remember, and I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. What Malachi is doing in verse four and five is he's bridging the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In verse five, he's saying, look back. Look back to what was written. Look back to what God has done. Look back to the law that was given to Moses. But he says, also look forward to the promises of the prophet. He uses Elijah to to symbolize the prophet's promise of what would happen in the great day of the Lord when Jesus would come full of grace and full of truth. It's bridging the gap here at the very end of the Old Testament between God's spoken word in the Old Testament and God's future word that would come in the New Testament. But he calls his people to remember I've said it multiple times in this series, that we don't need another word to navigate through the difficulties of life. We don't need to embrace the ideologies and the philosophies of our world and our common culture in our modern culture, to navigate through this unprecedented time. We need the Word of God alone. Revival comes when His people submit their lives to God's authority and His Word, when they look back to what He said in the Old Testament, look forward to what He's told God's people in the New Testament that has been fulfilled by the person and work of Jesus Christ, and they live according to it. They know the Word of God, they love the Word of God, and they're convicted by the Word of God. And I want to ask us, where did we get to the point as a people where we thought we have the right to pick and choose what we believe and what we follow concerning the word of God? Where did we get off saying, I will choose to believe this portion of God's word and I will choose to ignore this portion of God's word? It, it, is, it is his word and he has spoken and it is final And if a church ever gets to a place where they need to temper the truth in order to be politically correct, there will be no revival in that church. I can promise you that. When a church needs to temper the truth of God's word in order to be politically correct, revival will never come to that church. God has spoken and it is sharper than any double-edged sword We must live the word of God and embrace the word of God and be convicted by the word of God. We must be a people that never forget that God has spoken and that word is final in our lives. Revival comes with repentance. Revival involves remembering the word of God and submitting and surrendering to it. And third, revival leads to renewed affections. In verse one, going back to chapter three, It says, I will send a messenger. And then it says, I will bring a messenger of the covenant. In chapter, in verse one of chapter three, it talks about two messengers, a messenger that will come and then a messenger of the covenant that will come. Who are these messengers? These messengers are John the Baptist and Jesus. Don't believe me? Look at Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, this is the next book in in your Bible, beginning of the New Testament. Jesus says this concerning John the Baptist, chapter 11, beginning in verse nine. What then did you go out and see, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet, this is he whom it is written. And then Jesus goes on to quote Malachi 3. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom has suffered violence, and violent take it by force, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah that is to come. And so in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, Jesus tells us first that a messenger will come. Malachi tells us that a messenger will come, and that is John the Baptist. And then a messenger of the covenant will come, and that is Jesus the Christ, one who will come to usher in a new covenant, a new covenant in his temple. And it says this about the messenger of the covenant, Jesus Christ, in verse 1, in whom you will delight. Renewed affections. What Malachi is calling his people is this, it's not enough to know about Jesus. It's not enough to study him. It's not enough to profess him in the Apostles' Creed on Sunday morning. He needs to become your joy, your passion, overwhelming with joy and enjoyment and delight. That this becomes your chief passion, the messenger of the covenant promised in Malachi and fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ, does something to your soul that it moves you to joy, that your soul is inclined to Jesus. Listen to me, Satan is a great theologian, Satan knows a ton about doctrine, but he is not moved. The people of God are called to not only know what they believe and profess what they believe, but to be moved by their soul, a renewal of affections, that this becomes your chief delight, that Jesus renews your passion, renews your affections. But why? How would God move people like this in Malachi, who were complacent and indifferent, to be passionate followers of him? Well, the clue is found in verse 6. It says, the Lord does not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. Consumed by what? Remember a few verses earlier I talked about a fire, a refiner's fire. And they asked the question, who in the world could stand in the fire? And what a relevant question that is for all of us this morning. Because all of us at some point in our life ask the question, who can stand in the fires of life? Who can stand? Who can stand and not be consumed? And the message of God to his people and Malachi and his message to us this morning, that those that belong to God can withstand the fires and the storms of life and not be shaken and not be rocked. It's the reality that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are given exactly what we need. And that's when Jesus becomes more than just a creed we profess, but Jesus becomes the joy of our hearts renewed affection when we realize that Jesus took the fire of the holiness of God on the cross so that by faith alone, you and I would never be consumed. It's the word becoming flesh 400 years after Malachi is written in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's looking at the cross and realizing that he was crushed by his holiness so that by faith, you and I would never be crushed so that you and I would be able to wake up every morning and say, I can stand because of Jesus Christ. And there might be someone here in this room or maybe watching at home that not only needs revival in a general sense, but needs revival personally. And I pray that you would run to Jesus this morning, that through faith alone in him, that you would confess your need, confess your need to stand that no matter what fire you're going through, no matter what crisis you are experiencing, you would be able to leave here this morning saying, because of Christ alone, I can now have a blessed assurance that Jesus is mine and I can stand and live with the promise that I will not be consumed. If your soul needs to be revived, I pray that you would look to Jesus in just a few moments. We're going to give you an opportunity to pray and receive him. So that you might receive and experience revival personally for the very first time. But if you do know Jesus this morning, I want to ask you this question. And I want you to be honest with me. I want to ask if you would be willing to commit with me to pray. To pray for revival to pray for our school, to pray for our students and for our children's ministry, to pray for our outreach department, to pray for all of our ministries that just one person might come to know Jesus Christ and that one conversion would bring about revival. For those of you that have been on this earth a while, notice I didn't say old, but been on this earth a while, how amazing would it be to pray this prayer. Jesus, before you take me home, would I be so privileged to see revival in our church and amongst our people and through it, bring revival to our land. God, before you take me home, would you give me the privilege to see it? What a worthy prayer for us as the people of God. About 15 years ago, my wife Jen and I had the opportunity to take 30 high school students to South Africa for an E.E. mission Strip. And our first Sunday there, we were brought to the host church, and it was a sight to be seen. It wasn't so much a sanctuary, it was an arena full of 20,000 people singing and dancing in the aisles and up and down. And this frozen, chosen Presbyterian pastor is skeptical What's their statement of faith? And what do these people believe? I'm not into it at all. I'm skeptical. I'm cynical. I don't want to be here. I'm just standing there just watching things happen and unfold around me. I just have a hard heart. But then something happened. In a moment, I began to cry. Actually, I began to sob. And the spirit of the living God... Rushed through my defenses and revealed a deep need that I needed his presence. I knew about God, I could teach about God, but this was a pastor in a deep need of the freshness of the Spirit to overwhelm me and to renew and refresh my affections once again for who God was and what he was about to do. It was in that moment that I experience God's love running past my defenses and seizing me in that moment. Because it is one thing to say that you are a Christian it is one thing to be a churchgoer. It is another thing to be experienced by the God, to experience the gospel, to experience the spirit of the living God and to be overwhelmed by it. Revival begins when God's people are broken, when we remember and we live according to his word and we are overwhelmed by his glory and by his beauty in such a way that it renews and transforms us. I want to ask you, do you want it? Can you taste it? Because after all, what are we doing here? If we don't long for this in our day, revival right here, right now. I don't know about you. I'm tired of playing it safe. I'm tired of being complacent. Yes, even this pastor can at times be complacent to what God can do. Let's not any longer be indifferent to God and to his word and cry out together this morning, Spirit of the living God, would you fall afresh on us? Spirit of the living God, would you fall afresh on Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, I pray that we would heed the words. That we would learn something about our past as a people. Lord, we can be a people that are complacent. We can be a people that are indifferent. We can be a people that live contrary to what your word commands us to live according to. And I pray that you would wake us up by the spirit of the living God, that we would repent of that indifference. By the spirit of the living God, would you remind us of your word and that we would surrender our lives to it. And Lord, by the spirit of the living God, would you renew us afresh? So that Jesus is not just someone we know. Jesus is not somebody we just talk about. But Jesus becomes our delight. Why in the world would people come to this church if they didn't see a Jesus that was utterly transformative? Why would they want to listen to us if they didn't see Jesus as our chief delight and our primary joy? But Lord, there might be someone here this morning either physically present or maybe listening online that is experiencing this deadness and they have never experienced the reviving power of the gospel, that they are on the rock bottom, cold floor of this life and they need to be revived for the very first time. They need Jesus. They need to be born again. And if you're listening here this morning or listening online, this message is for you. That you would turn and you would repent of your sins and that you would run to the cross as your only hope, that you would be able to acknowledge and profess this morning for the very first time that Jesus, only for you, can I stand and not be consumed, that I can stand and my life not be rocked. I turn over my life to you. I confess that I am deep in deep need of a Savior. So Lord Jesus Christ, enter in and save me of my sins from my sins. And become the Lord of my life. I want to follow you and know you and proclaim you and be revived by you today. So that my story can be one of blessed and utter assurance. Both now, forevermore. And God's people said, Amen.